Anyways, uh, but I'm glad you're here. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel, and um, I'll add my welcome to Todd's welcome. We're glad you're here, especially if you're visiting, and so look forward to getting to know you. Because I imagine after today, you'll never want to go anywhere else but Bethel. Um, actually, I don't know. I, I, it'll be interesting to see if anybody from the first service ever comes back to Bethel. Uh, but here's the deal. So go to Ephesians chapter 4. While you go there, I can tell you uh, the Cowboys won uh, last night. Uh, that's amazing. Um, I grew up in a church in Abilene, Texas in the 70s. Uh, the elders at the front of the church during communion would always pray for Tom Landry. And uh, so just kind of feeling like maybe we should do that today, but I, we, we won't. Um, and uh, th- so the other thing is, and, and I, uh, the miracle that they won last night gives me hope. Uh, that we can win this morning, okay? Uh, That's what we're going to do. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and I I can't wait to do that. I'll start it out. Johnny Russell, anybody know Johnny Russell? Yeah. Uh, So he sent me this video yesterday. It was called Virtual Reality Church. It's by the same guys who make like the, they're equal opportunity offenders. They make fun of millennials. They make fun of old people. I mean, you know, they, they kind of parody that uh, they over-exaggerate all the crazy things going on in church. But virtual reality church, this has to be my favorite up to then. So the deal is you get these goggles, the virtual reality goggles, um, and for the non-initiate, they're these like big, huge ski goggles, and you put them on and you like, it's like a, a world in there. I mean, you feel like you're somewhere else. And so it's virtual reality church. You pick your own experience. So there's several options. You can pick any kind of church you want, you know, Methodist or Amish or whatever, and it dresses you appropriately. And then um, you, you get to pick, a, you know, what level of interaction you want. You know, I mean, do you want a, a place where there's a, they do a greeting? You know, if you don't want that, you, you can X that out. If you want a back row seat, uh, you can choose that, you know, all those different things. Then you get to pick your worship. Um, it says you'll never have to sing a song again that you don't want to. And uh, so you pick that. You can even choose the level of skinny jeans that the worship leader's wearing, you know, and just sort of how high up they ride on an ankle. Um, then you get to pick your sermon, and it says you'll never have to hear a vision sermon or a sermon on giving ever again. Uh, you can pick the length, and then you can also set reminders in there for the kickoff. And so, for some reason, the church is going longer than the kickoff. That it'll it'll pop up, shut off, and then you can you never miss another uh, kickoff. Make Sunday morning all about you. That's what it says. And I like that actually. Um, in fact, the, the truth is, all of us like that. I mean, let's be honest. It's how we're made, it's how we're born, it's our natural man. We, we really, I mean, listen, nobody would ever admit it. You know, I mean, that's why these guys make the video, because it's so funny. But really, we like it all about us. Our preference, our, you know, all that, that's what's right, is what I want. It's how we view things. Well, so I do want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about church, and I want to talk about ministry and theology of ministry. I mean, what's the whole goal here? Why did you come here this morning? I mean, that's, you know, it's rhetorical, don't answer, but I mean, but why are we here? I mean, what, what, what are we here to do? What's the purpose? I mean, many of us would say, well, I want, I want to grow in Christ, and I, you know, somebody, I have to go to church to do that. I mean, so, so that's the deal. So how do we grow in Christ? How do we become this um, conforming and transforming into Christ 
that, that we're called to do. And then we know, so that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and we feel those yearnings and stirrings. And just why are we here? And I don't want to talk about that. This theology of ministry. What does the Bible say? What's God's design for the church? What, why has God designed this thing to be like it is? And I'm going to do some hard evaluation this morning. I'm, listen, I'm going to be on the nose. You're going to think, man, that guy's angry. And, I, and I'm not angry. I'm not. I'd love you. Um, but this might be hard for some of you. you, you some of you may feel like he's talking to me. He, he's picking on me. He's making me feel uncomfortable. No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make everybody feel uncomfortable. All right? <laughs> not just you. What is his design? My outline this morning is it's pretty simple, or it is to me. I hope you can follow it. I want to talk about theology of ministry, which means I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to kind of get into it a little bit. I'll try to be quick. Um, then I'm going to talk about strategy of ministry. So here's the theology of ministry. Now, how do, we, how do we take and implement that? And I'm going to talk specifically here on the south campus of Bethel Bible Church. Well, what are we doing in this local body to, to live out this thing we think is biblical. Then I'm going to talk briefly about sort of Bethel as a whole, our vision. What, where are we going? What are we pursuing? And then we're going to take communion together. And so just a word. When we do communion, I'm going to say, hey, will the people that are going to help us with communion uh, come up? Um, that means come up, all right? So the first service left me hanging. I was up here all by myself. And we'll be out of time, so we, we need to be efficient, all right, and worshipful, all right, um, all those things. Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. I'm going to go to verse 16. I'm going to pray that the Lord will help us this morning, and then we're going to get right into it. Here's the way Paul says it in Ephesians 4, writing to the church in Ephesus. He's already said a whole bunch of things, and he comes to this in verse 7 of chapter 4. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we have read your word. I pray that it would not return void. We trust that it is 
your word and from you, and this is your design. And so, Father, I pray the words that I speak about your word would not get in the way of what your word would do in our hearts and minds this morning. Well, I pray you'd be with me. I'd, I'd be clear. And, um, Father, I pray your word would be heard. And we ask this the only way we can. In the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, so the theology of ministry, Paul helps us here. And there are three places, four places, uh, five places, that Paul talks about spiritual gifts in the New Testament, or the, the New Testament talks about it. The lion's share belonged to Paul. You've got Ephesians 4 here. You've got Romans chapter 12. You've got 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think also 13, and then chapter 14. You have uh, Peter writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 4, and then a few places here and there. So, the, the Bible um, is concerned with believers knowing what Paul says here in verse 7 is that you, if you are a believer in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. Each one. Notice what he says. The grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, um, so the grace here... Um, it's, it's uh, Paul will say it in, in Romans 12, 6, having different gifts according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Peter says it this way, each of us has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. So grace is an unmerited favor. You, you get this from God, a grace. But not because you earned it, not because you're worthy of it, not because you stand out amongst the crowd, not because you've made something of yourself. It's strictly, wholly, completely given by God without regard to who you are or what you've done for Him. Grace is given for salvation. You find this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is also given, grace given for ministry. Here in Ephesians 4. It is the key to our living and growing in the Christian life. Here's a definition. A particular enablement given to each believer to empower them for ministry. John Owen, 400 years ago, the old, oh, John Owen, smart Puritan, probably not fun at a party, but smart. He said it this way. These spiritual gifts are the power of the world to come. It's the echoes, it's the foretaste, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the deposit that gives us the right to know we have the guarantee. They're glimpses of the life to come and the power that will be. They are a God-given ability for service, which we say God-given, it reminds us, that, listen, it's, it's given to us by Christ. Th through the Spirit, that's who gives the gifts. It's an ability, it's a synonym, you know, ability for, for spiritual gifts. It's an actual ability, and it's for service. It, the, all the passages where you are, you're given a gift for the purpose of serving the body of Christ. So, each believer has received from Christ a measure of, of a gift to be used in a particular function in the body. 
So you may be asking your question this morning. Do I have a spiritual gift? If you're a believer, you do. You, you, you do. You, you have it. Now, let me tell you what a spiritual gift isn't. A spiritual gift is not a place of service, okay? It's not the spiritual gift of the greeting team or the, or the nursery. Or the, or you, so it's not a place of service. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is the, the ability, and it can be applied in a number of places, which means so it's not age-specific, you're not like gifted with elementary kids. You may be naturally talented with them, but you're not, you're not spiritually gifted with an age group or a demographic or a, you're gifted by the Spirit. It can find its context anywhere. It's application in any context. It's also not an office. There are offices in the church. There are just a handful. There's, um, there's apostles. There's um, uh, uh, bishops, elders. Um, pastor shows up, maybe, maybe not. Is it even really an office? But elder is, deacon. Uh, so so th- they're deaconess, maybe, you know, not to be controversial today. Uh, but there, there are um, those offices, but the offices are those where the, the congregation um, elects those people to office or they are appointed to office. You know, and behind all that, you see it's really God doing the appointing. But that's how that happens. A gift, though, that comes from God. It is not tied to an office. Um, and, it, and, and God does that in his own way. So you are, you're gifted. You have a spiritual gift. Now, sometimes somebody in an office, their spiritual gift might line up with that office and they intersect. You hope they do. You hope that your, your pastor, the guy preaching on a Sunday morning, has a gift of, of Pastor, teacher, or, or whatever. But it doesn't mean that's my only context for that. I mean, I, so I'm not the pastor here anymore. And I, you know, I'd show up on Sunday morning and say, well, I go to uh, Cameron Axis. I'd say, well, I, I want to serve in the nursery. She's not going to say, well, did, are you, do you have the nursery gift? <laughs> but I will say this. I, I mean, Hopefully, I wouldn't be the only one back there because my gift of teaching, I mean, it wouldn't be long, and I'd be looking around and going, okay, how are we going to get these infants? How are we going to teach these infants the Word of God? And I would become consumed with it, and then I would start reading things about how, you know, when they you know, used to play Beethoven for babies, and it makes them smarter, and I figured, okay, how are we going to do this? And then I'd be recording my voice, teaching, and then we'd put headphones on them, and, and all these things, and you, you drop your infant off, and I'd be like, did they do their homework? And, um, you know, so... We hope, I mean, it's fine, I can find that context. We hope somebody else is back there, though. You know, with the gift of holding or something, caring. I mean, you know, those gifts. But your, your gift can find a context anywhere. I'll tell you a little later, uh, if we get to it, how, how, you've, how you find out what your gift is, okay? Um. All right, so, so let's see. Not a servant, not an age group, not office. It's not a talent either, just so a natural talent. So we all have natural talents. You're good at all kinds of things and, you know, uh, better than in your mind than you really are about stuff. You know, you know how it goes. We all have them. But they're different than that. Natural talents are, are just natural. They're, they're given by God. It's common grace. It makes things rich and beautiful and they're helpful and all that stuff. But that is not the same thing. And the difference between a talent and a gift a gift is that which God has enabled you to do, and then he blesses that. And he blesses it by edifying those around you, by bringing them to Christ, or, or healing them in Christ, or, or, or um, helping them see 
Jesus in a way clearer than they did before, and it brings this spiritual uh, fruit. That, that's a gift. And our talent, sometimes God may use our talents in, with our gifts. You know, so a good example, I read um, uh, two guys, they were contemporaries, D.L. Moody in Chicago, uh, Charles Spurgeon in England, uh, London. Charles Spurgeon was naturally talented community. You'd go listen to Spurgeon, you'd go, man, that guy, that guy can speak. I mean, he, he is a talented communicator. And at the same time, God also gifted him. And so when he preached, there was great fruit. I mean, it edified people. I mean, he, he lit um, England on fire, the world on fire. Now, D.L. Moody in Chicago, God also greatly blessed, greatly, and used mightily. But the tale is that if you went and heard Moody, you would be like, could they not find anybody else to stand up there? Because he stuttered and his, didn't say all his words right and was a terrible speller. And I mean, he, he didn't have any of those natural gifts you think. And yet, God gifted him and blessed his ministry mightily. Um, so talent, it, it, it enriches people, gifts, they edify people, all right? Um, everyone has a gift, and listen, those gifts are different. Um, gifts are given to the church for the purpose of preserving unity in the church. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But there's this diversity of gifts, and in this diversity of gifts, God uses that to create a unity. So we're not all gifted the same, we're not all called to be exactly alike, we each contribute in the way God has designed us and gifted us for the purpose of what He's doing in this body. Uniformity isn't the goal. Unity is the goal that leads to this harmony. Now, in 7, you get this sort of a description of the, the gift. Not just, they're not just given to church leaders. Everyone, he says, each of us has a gift. We're gifted by God as believers for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. We're talking about the harmony that this brings. It's the gift you're given that's not for you. It's for everybody around you here this morning. And the difference, uh, one guy writes it this way, he says, the difference of the gift does not determine the value. So we don't look and go, well, that gift's more valuable than that gift. You know, I mean, we, we like eyes better than we like toes. We don't say that. You know, in fact, Paul says it that way in 1 Corinthians. But what we do say is that the difference of the value is determined only by the individual's use of it in the body. Your gift is exactly what God means for you to have, that Christ has bestowed upon you. Its value is revealed as you use it to the measure He's given you. The gifts, he says, are a measure of Christ's gift. It carries the idea. So God's graciously given this to you. Christ has given this to you. Not only does He gift each believer, He determines how much of the gift you have. Each believer has received... From Christ, a measure of the gift for a particular function in the body. And so I think what he did, he looks down at Bethel. He says, well, what do we need here? 
He apportions out His grace. So the gifts are the measure of Christ's grace. The people are the means. You want more grace? Look around. It's all over this place this morning. Now, um, there are no accidents here, just so you know. If you're here and you're a believer, if you're here and you're not a believer, you're not here by accident and you aren't an accident. There is no one here this morning that is without a purpose. There's no one here this morning that is without a call. I mean, so let's say it this way. I mean, we talk about it. I said it. Some of the language, I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm not going to fight it. You know, we say called to ministry. You know, I'm called to ministry. All of you are called to ministry. All of you. Everyone. Full-time. Christian ministry. You're all called to it. Everybody. If you're a believer. You've been gifted for it. Enabled for it. Supernaturally. For ministry. And here's the thing. This, I think, is one of the reasons why Christians are so bored. The church is boring. Everything's boring. And the reason is, is because there's so much more to this life. If you're an unbeliever this morning, you can probably get away with all kinds of fun, all right? And, and, you know, go for it until the Lord gets hold of you. But if you're a believer this morning and you've been saved and gifted by Jesus you will never be satisfied with anything less than being engaged in what is eternal. You're remade, you're reborn for eternity. All right. So, um, then Paul does this thing. That was verse 7, uh, by the way. All right, so then Paul does this thing in verses 8 through 10. All right, so... Look at it with me for a second. He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, led a host of captives, and he gives gifts to men. And then he goes on this deal about what does it mean that he ascended if it wasn't that he descended. And then he, so you're like, I have no idea what that means. And I think Paul does this on purpose. So the Greek is hard. The meaning is challenging. And I think he does it because he knows young pastors will be drawn to uh, Ephesians to talk about the church, and he drops it in there to make sure that pastors are sufficiently humbled in front of their congregation. <laughs> but I'll take my shot at it, okay? It's from Psalm 68. It's sort of a, a reworking of Psalm 68. Don't turn there. You can look at it later. But Psalm 68, 18. And essentially the idea is the imagery that he's drawing on and the imagery the psalmist is drawing on is this, is that when a king, when a king goes to war against another country or, or against his enemy, and particularly when that enemy has taken captive, taken hostage his people. And in a sense, what we have is we have Jesus, who's the king, who has gone to war against sin and death, and Satan himself, these things which have held us captive. And he goes to war, and he frees you, and he defeats the enemy. And then what happens is the king comes back with the spoils of war. And the good king then takes those spoils and divides them among those that were captive, but now they're free. 
here you go. Here's your new start. You're part of me. I'm invested in you and you're mine now for your good. That's Jesus. That's what he's saying. And the idea of him descending, I think, simply means he came down in his incarnation to, to earth. And to say the lowest regions of the earth and higher than the highest heavens is to say there is no place, there is no place that Jesus does not rule and that it is not the king. If you've been freed by him, you're his. And he's gifted you with all the riches. All right? So that's what he means there. So how do we have gifts? What is the right? How is Paul's validating? Does Jesus have the right to give us gifts? He absolutely does. He's the king who saved us. So then he says in verse 11, look, look real quick, and he says, so and then he gave, so and he gave, so this picks up from seven, uh, but grace was given. So then he goes on the parentheses there, and then verse 11, he picks back up. So he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, these are not offices. I'm not saying the office of, he, he's not talking about that, he, he's talking about people. He gave people to the church. He gave gifted people to the church for a purpose, all right? It's so interesting. I'll tell you a little side note. You can track it down if you're, you know, theology nerd like me. Um, but so in um, all the while, this, this was trans, uh, translated shepherd, okay? So uh, shepherd and teacher. It is not until 1611 when the King James translated this pastor. And, and the reason is because in 1611, you know what a pastor was? A shepherd. So the language was great. Here's what happened, though. After 1611, all the translations took on pastor, and it became this thing that now we called certain people in the church. You know what? That is never really meant to be. It was never pastor in and of itself is not really an office. It's just a gift. It's a gifted person for the sake of the church, to pastor, to care for to tend to, to teach, to uh, uh, defend doctrine, to, to do all these things, to, to equip. ESV and some other translations later said, you know what? We, that's not right. Let's go back to shepherd. That's what he means there. So, uh, real quick, verse 11. This is how the history of the church typically takes it. And I'm not, in, not arguing about this necessarily. I'll just tell you. So the first three gifts, first two gifts, first three gifts, depending on how you uh, gifted people. So the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. The history of the church typically takes those as temporary and foundational for the church. Meaning the apostles, those were the ones with Jesus, and then you add Paul and a couple of others, and they're the ones that had the world in view. They're the ones that are taking the gospel to the world. And then you had the prophets, and they're the ones that are explaining the mystery. So that, you know, remember the first century, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have all these uh, things that we have today. The canon was still open. The people were still writing Scripture. So the prophets, they were there to inform the church and to give the mystery and to do the teaching. And the evangelists, they were starting churches and, and, and bringing people to, to salvation through, through the gospel. And there was overlap in all of those. It's not like it's clearly defined. You know, the prophet didn't say, whoa, you're, you know, stay in your lane, uh, evangelist. It's not, well, not like that. But these foundational temporary gifts. And now the foundational ongoing 
is that of the shepherd and the teacher there. That's why they get grouped together at the end. And they're foundational, but they're not the sum total of ministry. That, that's not like the sum total of all ministry. It's the foundation to equip all the ministers so that you know, you know what to do with your gift and how to use that and how to grow in it and, and all of these things for the good Notice in 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for what? The building up of the body of Christ. Now, you, I asked you earlier, so, so why are we here? What's the purpose? Well, why do we come here this morning? What are we doing? And most of us say, well, I'm, I mean, I'm here to grow in Christ. Well, what Paul is arguing for is this. Your individual growth and our corporate growth as a body are are tied together in a way that they cannot be separated. Your growth and your maturity is um, inseparable from the growth and the maturity of our body. As we attain to the manhood in Christ, as we uh, uh, seek, and as it says in verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As you grow and you share your gifts, we all grow. You, there are no Christian silos. Now, if you're looking for a metaphor, it wouldn't be golf or tennis, even doubles tennis. It's not, that's not the metaphor that we're going for. We all play a part in the equipping, in the supplying what is lacking. These aren't offices. These are gifts Christ has given to individuals in the church for the church so that we can grow and we can mature. So, you know, so ministry, simply it's defined. It's being involved in and engaged in other people's lives. And you contribute to those around you and the, and the church and, 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 and making your, your gifts available to the people around you. Giving yourself away. You're equipped, you turn around, you give your gift. And the gifting is not about you. It, the goal is not, you know, you just need to be more busy around here. It's, that's not the goal. It's, it's, it's are beneficial to each other. You're vital. You are vital here for us to grow. It's building us into Christ-likeness. Our individual growth and the corporate growth, they're tied together. The goal is set, that the end is determined. We are to look like Christ. We're to mature into Him. All the saints, He says, all of us. Now, here's what this means. It means that my job is not to ensure that the church is a place where you're entertained or necessarily makes you feel good or the place that's going to talk about God to your children for you or, I'm speaking to believers, place you come, you know, because it's nostalgic or have all your curiosities satisfied. Or to create an environment for you to network and socialize. I care about all those things. Those things are fine. It's not my job. My job is to make sure you hear the call of Christ 
that we work in a way, organized, systematic, that we help equip you for the ministry that you're called to in this body because we can't do this thing without you. I can't grow, you can't grow. We can't grow without everybody here. In the measure of grace that Christ has given you, we're not spiritual silos. And we do this until, in verse 13, there's a unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And so there's teaching involved and training. And we, and we do this and we, and we protect doctrine. And, and it's because we want to be a mature manhood, he says. Um, and it involves, you know, individual spiritual growth and using these gifts and sharing your growth with those around you. And notice this. this can't miss this imagery here. Verse 13. So we attain to, what does it say, the full measure of the stature? And then in verse 7, you're each given a measure. Here's how it works. All the measures that you've been given. You add all those. What's Jesus building here? His body. You put all those together. That's how we reach the full measure. Your measure displayed to and offered to and serving and ministering those around you. Um, and so, so in verse 14, we don't, we're not like children, you know, tossed to and fro. Children, they lack understanding. They lack perception. They, um, the gifts given to you are necessary for me and for all of us so that we don't become children or stay children. I mean, listen, children, they throw tantrums. They don't share. They take their toys and leave. They don't play well with others. They tend to not enjoy anybody else's company. They always want to what you have. I, I saw this over Christmas. My brother is a little boy. He's like three, four, and he got some awesome Christmas gifts, okay? More awesome than any, probably in 47 years anything I got. They were awesome. And you know what he did the whole time? He's not playing with them. He's yelling at his sister not to look at him. Don't touch him. They're mine. Or he's looking around, seeing what he doesn't have and wanting it. And so he should be so happy and content. And he's miserable. It's how you'll be. As children, we don't want to be that. We want to grow up. This is teaching that brings stability and then love is the key, you know, I mean, grounded in reality, being truthful, T truth tempered with love. You know, I mean, sometimes we say, well, you know, it's the harsh truth. Well, as believers, there's never harsh truth without love. You know, truth with, like my mom says, a little sugar on it, okay? We don't use truth to retaliate against each other. But to heal each other and love each other. And you need to walk over me. Walk over me. That's how that goes. We love one another. Transparency coupled with love enables believers to grow in harmony. And in all things, he says, our knowledge and our love, our attitudes and our actions, our prayer and our mentoring, our fasting and our feasting, our, our, our mourning with one another and our joy with each other. We're to grow in all of those things. And Christ is the standard. 
Verse 16, it's absolute, you're absolutely vital. He's joining us together. He's like, he's like building something. And, and what do you do then? You didn't have mortar. You took these stones. And guess what? They didn't fit. So you know what you did? Smooth it out. And chip some off. And some of you need smoothing and chipping. I know I do to fit. But he's doing that. Fitting us and holding us together. Not haphazardly. But on purpose. So... How am I supposed to know what my gifts are? Well, you have to dis- discover your gifts. And um, Christ gives gifts to all people. So the first question you need to ask this morning is, am I one of those people? Am I one of Christ's people? Do I know what it is that the king has come and rescued me out of captivity? Then I'm saved. If not, that's the place to start. To recognize that you're a sin, you're, you're a slave captive to sin and death and Satan himself whether you believe in him or not and realize you need rescue more than you need anything else this morning that's where you start and then from there I would say if you're a believer start serving just pick a place you know what we got a lot of places here no closed doors just start serving and see what you'll realize is You'll get somewhere, and your eyes will be tuned, and you'll go, you know what, I'm, I know what's wrong there. I know how that could be better. I, something's missing here. I know what that is. And, and, and that helps you discover your gift. I mean, you know, like if you came back, and I'm serving in the nursery, you'd walk in, and you'd go, ooh, uh, there's some compassion missing back here. You know, like some love for these kids. You know, and so, yeah, you're, you're wired that way. You know, if you come back there, and and, 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 you see, and you said, well, God, yeah, well, let's just keep on teaching them. Let's just, yeah, we should start preaching to the infants. Then you'll know, you know what? That's, you, yeah, you're just like me. I don't need another one of those. Where, where do you fit? What, what do you see? Where, where is this, you know, they can be anywhere. Your gift can find application in any context around here. Whether it's being the first impression as somebody walks in this door, whether it's serving on a Wednesday night, whether it's helping lead in the life group, whether it's saying to your life group leader, you know what, My, I'm, I'm going to, for the next 30 days, I'm going to pray for you. Because, man, I just feel like you don't have enough people praying for you. I'm going to serve you that way. In fact, I'm going to grab some people around me, and we're going to not just pray for you, we're going to pray for all the life group leaders. Maybe you look at something and go, you know what? That could be so much better organized. You know, that, that's a deal. That's a gift. And then fruit happens, and we can all get better, and we grow. And so that's what I would tell you. Listen, just start serving. I'm not a preacher because I took a gifts assessment, and it told me to be a preacher. In fact, if I took one, I'd probably say, don't be a preacher. You know, but I just, I just started. I can't tell you how many failures I've had. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, my first Young Life Club, it was like, you know, anti-gospel for some, it was terrible. You know, and then for a minute, Leslie can tell you, it's cringing to think about, I led worship at this college deal for a while. That was terrible, that was a terrible decision somebody made. But you get in there and you discover. A couple of things, so you might think about it as in a, do you feel, do you sense a burden somewhere? Do you see something, I feel a burden there. Feel, feel, that could be better, right? There's something missing, or it's not, not as 
organized as it should be, or isn't you know? So what? Do, do you see something? You know, I, I know, I know what that needs. Well, that's helpful. That that's that's helping you. That's the spirit leading you, I think. And then you look at ability. You go, okay, do I have the ability to do this? And 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 I either do or or I I don't have the full ability to. I need to bring somebody along. So I have this certain measure of it, and so I, but I need some other people to come because this is bigger than what my measure is. And so then we, you know, so uh, you know, do you feel the burden for it? Do you have the ability for it, and then opportunity. You know, the deal is you may say, well, I really think we ought to do this, and I think we ought to start this, and you come, and you talk to Michael, and you say, Michael, I think we ought to do this. And you, Michael goes, well, great, I think you ought to do this. And then, you know, six months later, it doesn't work, and you think, well, you know, darn the people. Well, no, this maybe wasn't the right timing. So you go, you know what, Lord, okay. We'll find some place else to serve. Maybe do it again later. Maybe the timing will be better. Man, we're in this deal together. We, we can't do this without each other. If you just show up here for a pastor to do all the ministry to you and for you, man, you're, this place can get old really fast. Because that's not church. We're not growing. Okay. Uh, are you making, is your investment eternal? Is it? All right. All right, so here's some implications. Um, some who serve in our midst serve beyond their measure. You ever heard of the 20-80 rule? 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry? It's like that in churches. And the hazard is that those people are undoubtedly neglecting areas of the life. They only are the subject of ministry. You know, they're only doing ministry. They're never the object of ministry. They don't, don't get ministered to very often. That's not good for us. The other is there are some in our midst serving below their measure. And, and I'll tell you, here are some of those symptoms. You feel dissatisfied. Stunted spiritual growth. Not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The church feels very optional to you because spiritual growth is very minimal. We need you. You're vital to this deal. Here's evaluation of the problem. Some people are just too busy, too much time at work or play or whatever it is that you do. It's not good. No, work hard. I think you should work hard. You should work a lot. But not, not in a way that it keeps you from serving in the way God's empowered you to serve the body of Christ. Here's another one. You're too protective of your personal comfort. Now Listen. I'm a big fan of personal comfort. I like it. I mean, I do. I like comfort. I mean, people bother me sometimes. But if that gets in the way, you know what? Then I need to have a conversation with myself and with the Lord. But you know what? It's probably not the very best pursuit of one who's been saved by grace through faith and gifted by the power of the Holy Spirit because Christ gave me a gift that, you know, I invest that in Netflix. Probably not good. Um, here's another one. Since I'm, I'll be on the nose here, and if you haven't offended you yet, here you go. I'm going to call it the idolatry of family. Now, hear me. You should love your family. You will give an account to how you love your family. But consider this. 
if you neglect or dismiss the gift you've been enabled with for the ministry you've been empowered for, and you neglect it in the name of family or whatever it is, I think you're doing a disservice to your family. It's a diminishing return. You think you're providing for them in, in, a, in your neglect of the ministry. Well, I can't do that. I've got to do this. And, but it isn't provision. I believe it has this diminishing return. Whereas by God's design and His call on your life, His enablement for your empowerment of, for, for His body, for His glory, is meant to be the great provision for your family. Maybe your kids need to see you serve. That's the greatest need they have. Take them along with you. Here's some other things. We don't keep score around here. What it, somebody does or doesn't do in no way it affects what you're called to do. Just keep on plugging and keep on calling them and keep on inviting them. And we cannot do all the work ourselves. No one person can. What happens is a crisis comes up and then somebody's already doing something. We go, well, I'll do that too. Because, you know, we don't like crisis. But here's, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm so comfortable with crisis. We're not going to professionally rescue Crisis. I think crisis is one of those things. If we relieve it too soon, we prevent somebody from experiencing the Holy Spirit move in their life and say, hey, this is what you were made for. We deprive somebody of what they were called to do according to measure. As Christ has given each believer a gift according to measure, He expects each believer to use that gift to the measure given. No more, no less. Or what he's apportioned you to. Now, listen, here's some South Campus a- application. Um, and I want to specifically, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I'm going to talk about youth ministry here, okay? I get a lot of questions about it. So let me tell you, um, so over this last year, we have really decided that, man, we want to push into a biblical model of youth ministry. I've done a lot of reading. Here's one of the things. I'll just cite one guy. He says this. It's Scott, Scott T. Brown. You can look him up. Here's what he says. Youth ministry, as we have conceived it over the last 50 years, where we hire the the youth pastor, and then he does the ministry over there with the kids. You you know what he says? It is a 50-year failed experiment. Too negative? Well, possibly, if the purpose is to corral young people and entertain them in a safe Christian environment until they leave home. But if the goal is to grow the next generation of disciples and church leaders, then youth ministry is an experiment that has not only failed, but failed miserably. Not only are young people de-churching in droves, whereas anywhere between 60 and 85% after they turn 18, they are not re-churching after they get married and having children as in previous generations. The faith young people see must line up with the faith they hear. If not, they'll turn their ears from it. But to see the faith, young people need to be integrated into a church that exemplifies that faith, and generational divisions cannot be the norm. We need adults that love Jesus and don't care about kids. Listen, I'll tell you this all the time. I say this all the time, and it is true, and you can watch it. A middle school kid or a high school kid, they will gravitate to the oldest person in the room that they think cares about them. They're desperate for it. Way more than some young, hip, cool, skinny jeans. Those are, people are great. I love them. God made them. 
That's not the affirmation they're looking for. They will gravitate to the oldest person in that room that they think cares about them. You're not too old to serve there. The average tenure on top of this, the average tenure of a youth pastor, you know what it is? Under two years. I used to think, oh no, that can't be right. Except we've just lived through it three times in a row. My son, let me be personal for a second. So, do I care about youth ministry? I absolutely care about it. My son, not to embarrass him, and I'm sorry, Jay, that you're here. You should be at college, but um, <laughs> with all your stuff. And, um, but, no, I love you, son. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, but I will say, so he, so, listen, whatever statistics there are for kids, pastors, kids, the statistics are worse. Don't even want to read them. Don't even want to. But it's not, it's not somebody that we paid to care about him that made a difference in his life. And I can tell you, Parents, we, we did as good as we could, but about 13 years old, they can't even hear you anymore. You know who it was? It was adults. It is people that are sitting in this room, and we're sitting in the room earlier this morning. It's not because I'm the pastor. But they love Jesus, and they cared about him. They've texted him, or they'll take him to lunch when he comes home. You know who you are. And I'm eternally grateful for you. And if you're not praying for your kids to have adult friends in their life, Start now. I was talking to one parent. They were saying, you know what? I didn't even know what was going on over there. So I went over there. And I looked and I saw these couples. You know, you get the judges. The L- and look, I'm not saying this to embarrass anybody. But you get the Ellis's. You get the Heatons. You get the Sepulveda's. You get the Bats. And you, you have these great couples. And he was like, oh my gosh, I saw this. And I thought, there's no other place I'd want my kid to be than with these people. So what are we doing? That's what we're doing. We're going to hire people. We're going to hire people. We hire people. We will hire people. We will. It's not saying that. I'm just saying. We're not hiring anybody and then delegating ministry to them. We hired a family pastor who's so incredibly gifted. If you didn't listen to him preach last week, get on the internet, listen to his sermon. In fact, he's a little too good. And he's here, and you know what he's doing? He's leading family ministry, which means he's leading those people that we do have in place, that we are paying a little money to do organization and to you know, recruit volunteers, make sure we got schedules, and make sure the whole ship runs. But man, they're not doing the ministry like you think. They're, they're the ones that caring for the leaders and caring for you and helping you know that you have a place, and we can't do this without you. And Michael's there. I mean, as the issues come up, he's there. We'll call him, and he'll take care of them, and he's great organization. He's good at teaching cares a great deal about God's word and loves his wife and kids. And it's this, I'm not saying we're never going to hire anybody. We may. We're going to be very strategic about it. And I don't want any of you to miss the opportunity that God may be calling you to be a part of something and hiring your opportunity away. That sounded angry. I'm not angry. I love you our pursuit here. We don't want to short-circuit the ministry God's called all of us to do by employing professionals. We need to some. We have some. It's great. We love them. But 
we're not responding to crisis by hiring people. And then Bethel's greater vision application, which includes, you know, growing communities. God does that. He brings people. He grows people. He's gifted people. And campuses, as it turns out, for our ministry. That's one of the things God's designed for us. Attendance is up across the campuses, and it's higher than ever, just so you know. It's great. It's unbelievable. Second, building leaders. That's the equipping part. There are more people serving and ministering in Bethel than there ever has been. I cannot believe it. It is so great. And we have so many more places for you. There's not anybody in here. So if you're not serving, you say, well, you know what? I need to do that. I want to do that. Feel the Spirit calling me to do that. we got a spot for you. And then living generously. It's what it looks like when you have this sort of every member ministry approach. You know, it's not just giving. Giving's been amazing. We've celebrated that. It's, it's serving. And it's the opportunity God's given us as we continue to look to expand our, you know, this multi-site, multi-church strategy that we said, we, we want to go. We want, we want to go to where people are. I mean, God's blessed that and continues to. And I'll have more to share with you about that over the coming weeks, but an opportunity, we've looked at several, but one opportunity that's on the horizon, very near horizon, multi-cultural church. We said, well, multicultural. Well, it's a lot of things that I don't have time to tell you this morning, but Ricky Gardner, Great guy, pastor, has a group of people, and I'm going to have a chance to introduce you to him in the coming weeks and uh, tell you about this great opportunity as a church that we have to, to make Christ famous in the midst of a culture that's numb to him. And we do all this because this is God's design. He saved you. Listen, God could do all the ministry if He wanted to. It's not His design. It's for you to do it, me to do it, us to do it together so that we grow up and we become like Him, so that we reach a unity and a maturity and a beauty of His Son. All the measures come together to meet the measure. And the reason we can do it is because He sent His Son as the King to die for us and to rescue us. And that's what we celebrate this morning. These symbols, this bread and this juice the body, the physical body of the Son of God who became man to take on all that you were so that you can become all that he is he lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you deserve to die and shed his blood because the Bible says there's no forgiveness, no remission of sin without the shedding of blood So Jesus came into a body that had blood and said, okay, shed mine. Something that only God could have done, but only a man deserved, and Jesus was both. So we're going to take communion this morning in unity, harmony with one another, and pray for it to continue and to grow. Because you know what? They're going to know you're my disciples by your love for one another. It's just the way we love each other as we worship Christ in thanksgiving to God by the power of His Spirit. So I'm going to ask those that are going to help me with communion, if you'd go ahead and come up, I'm going to pray. We'll distribute the elements and then we'll sing and be all dismissed together. And then so if you have kids, you'll run over there and get them and tell them it was... Uh, Michael's uh, fault that you're late. So, 
Father, thanks for the morning that we have. Only you can do what we're asking.